Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What Billy up? This is the game. Yeah. It's a uh, cat and mouse. Smoked a turkey. <laughs> yes. He is down. He is freaking down. Said he shot an absolute giant. Fall obsession, baby. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Fall Obsession podcast episode. I am your host this week, Sam Thrash with Fall Obsession. And joining me on the phone today, I have my good buddy, our media production manager, Mr. Nick Powell. What's happening, Nick? Hey, not a whole lot, Sam. Glad to be back. You sound excited. <laughs> I am excited. We uh, we obviously guys we we would much rather be doing this in person. I really wish we could, but um, yeah, we for sure. we have busy lives and busy schedules, and uh, over the phone. Just recently, this summer has worked out a little bit better for us to make something happen for you guys and keep podcasts coming every week. So it is what it is, man. We're gonna roll with it. So yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna make the best of it. Thankful for te- technology. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, and we're going to throw a jab initially because joining us on the line right now was supposed to be our marketing manager, Drew Tordick. We are about to do a two-part episode series basically this week and next week over Montana and hunting in Montana. Um, and Drew was supposed to be joining us for that, but Drew doesn't like to answer his phone. So Yeah, what the heck, Drew? Yeah, Drew, what the heck, man? Where you at, bro? <laughs> So hopefully Drew's going to be able to to randomly join us uh, later on this episode, and if not this episode for uh, part two of this this uh, this episode series. But um, if not, you guys are more than welcome to join us in giving him a hard time because we very much wanted his expertise for these two episodes. So yeah. So like I said, guys, this week we are going to be talking about um, Montana. Episode one today, we're going to be kind of recapping my 2018 Montana pronghorn hunt. I'm super excited about this. Um, this is an episode I've looked forward to sharing with you guys, a story I've looked forward to sharing with you guys for a long time. Um, 
it is uh, the video for it is on our website and our YouTube channels, but we have not really told this story on the podcast. We've actually refrained from telling this story on the podcast in the past, Nick, um, just because we wanted to save it for an episode, you know? Right. Yep. So part one, this, this episode is going to be 2018 Montana. And then part two next week, uh, be sure that you guys tune in again when we're going to talk about kind of our 2019 recap from last year and also our expectations moving forward for 2020. So um, be sure that you guys tune in for that episode next week as well. That's an, that's an episode I'm really looking forward to because hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, we will both know whether we drew a pronghorn tag or not. Oh, no, there's no hopefully in that, buddy. So, so guys, we are recording this episode on August 5th, and the draw results for... Montana 2020, the general tag that we, that me, Nick, and Drew all put in for is August 6th. So, so <laughs> tomorrow. literally tomorrow we are going to find out if we were successful in drawing for Montana, which all of our fingers are crossed. We sure are hoping it would have worked out a lot better if we could have recorded these podcasts after the draw. But right. again, <laughs> work schedules and availability comes into play. We had to record today. So here we are. And plus, that leaves a little bit of suspense for the uh, for the audience, for our listeners. Yeah, I'll have to record a, a little snippet, a little clip um, that we can stick into next week's episode. Just uh, just a little addition that'll let everybody know if we got drawn or not. So. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, guys. Well, I'm gonna let Nick take it away and let you guys know everything you need to know about our good friends over at Elite Archery. So. Man, Sam, I couldn't be more happy with our our partners over at Elite. And I know you feel the same way because you're shooting the new cure. I have a, my hands on a Ritual 33, and uh, they have hooked us up tremendously uh, and really put out some awesome products. So I couldn't be more happy with uh, with our, our partnership with them. They have uh, really taken care of us. And if you guys haven't yet, go check out their website, EliteArchery.com, and you can. they have everything there that you could ever need. Uh, they have a custom bow uh, set up where you can go in there and set up your own your, your bow exactly how you want it it'll tell you how much it is or all the specs to it uh, and also if you haven't yet go to your local archery shop and take the elite shootability challenge and i promise you you will not be let down absolutely i couldn't agree more man spoken like a true podcast host <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, I, 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 I try my best. I do know about that, actually. Our followers have <laughs> spoken. So last week on Fall Obsession Podcast, guys, and this is kind of a sidetrack from our Montana episode here, but last week we put a poll on our Instagram following the episode. We told you in the episode we were going to do this. We're going to put a poll on our Instagram on whether Nick is a good or a terrible podcast show host um, because Nick <laughs> thinks that he's terrible, apparently. So... Um, I have the results. If you would give me just a second, I will um, pull them up here for you. All right, here they are. So 71% of you guys said that Nick is, in fact, an excellent show host. 29% <laughs> of you guys said that he's terrible. So, Nick, I don't know whether you should be happy that you can still host podcast episodes or if you should be mad that 29% of our followers think that you suck. <laughs> no, you know what? I'm, I am going to think uh, I'm, a, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. 
So I'm going to focus on that 71%. And also, <laughs> like, uh, we're in school. 71% is passing. So. Well, unless you I'm go to paramedic that. school. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about that. Yeah. We'll talk about that. So anyway, there you guys go. There are the results from, uh, from our poll from last last week's episode so well yeah and a big a big thanks to everyone who said yeah who voted yes um and then for those of you who voted no i'll try and do better that's that's the spirit (laughs) that's the spirit right there buddy all right guys so time to dive into montana um (laughs) so this really was a, a unique opportunity for me and i had really only hunted whitetails and and hogs and turkeys down here in texas leading up to then so being able to being invited to go up to montana and on a pronghorn hunt like this was was an opportunity i'd never had before and a little backstory on that our marketing manager drew Drew tordick who is not on this episode with us right now (laughs) he yeah current waiting we're buffering um (laughs) he uh he sent me an email asking well would you looky there Looky there, who's calling? Is that who's calling? That's All who's right. calling. All right, here we go. Let's get Drew in here. Hey, Drew. Hey, how's it going, Sam? Hey, it, we're good. We are. We're we're recording, buddy. We're on, we're we're live right now. That's awesome. <laughs> we're What's up, up, Drew? Hey, how's it going, Nick? We're uh, good, we're good. we're glad that uh, that you could join us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. So uh, so guys, this is this is Drew. You guys may remember him. He's been on a couple podcasts uh, in the past uh, over some backcountry elk hunting and uh, backcountry camping. Some really good episodes, episodes 16 and 20. You guys should check them out if you have not already. But uh, as we've already mentioned, Drew Drew's our marketing manager, and he's our he's our guy. He's the he's the knowledgeable one for Montana and pronghorn and mule deer and all that good stuff. So. So Drew, we were just talking about um, Montana and kind of what led into uh, me going up there and joining you in in 2018. Um, literally just started talking about man about how you uh, you sent me that email, you sent me that invite invite to come up there and and join you, um, and how it was a, a unique opportunity that I've never never gotten to really experience before. So yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was kind of a, a unique thing for me too. I'd actually just started antelope hunting out there uh, the year before and had realized that it was such a great spot that I really needed to get some other people out there and see if we can't produce some good footage and get some good content. And, man, the hunting out there didn't let us down. Absolutely not. So I kind of wanted to I wanted to lead into this, this conversation, kind of talking about a little bit about kind of what I expected versus what it really was when I got up there and then um, also kind of get your take on it take on it Drew too um, talking about I know you just said that you had only hunted up there uh, a year or so prior but how how 2018 compared to the activity and and anything that you've seen out there in the years prior so yeah uh, 2018 was a good year Uh, that buck you shot was that was a pretty nice buck and i mean that year was great we had some really good snow cover when you were out there and for some reason this piece of property that we hunt is it's a lot better once we get some snow on it and it really pushes them off uh, up into that 
that hilltop, I guess, is the best way to describe it. It's pretty flat around that area. And this piece of private that we had access to is, it's 400 acres, but it's some pretty pretty gnarly terrain with some pretty big hills and some pretty big ravines in it. And for some reason, once that snow hits, they really like the top of that hill there where they can see quite a ways. Yeah. Yeah, the snow was definitely something that caught me off guard because I go up there, I think it was like September 27th or 28th, end of September, which down here in Texas, it's still hotter than the devil's butt crack. So we're still, I'm used to being in shorts and a t-shirt and I go up there and, and day day number one or two, I guess, it was there was a blanket of snow on, on everything. So I was uh, not saying I didn't have warm clothes, but I definitely was not quite prepared to be hunting in the snow. I, I, I think I stuck <laughs> out like a sore thumb wearing my, my Realtree camo around up there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's kind of difficult to plan for the weather out there uh being so close to the mountains where we're at it it's really affected not only daily but kind of hourly as far as what the weather is going to be uh, there's been times where it's snowing one minute and then really hot the next or vice versa and it's it's something the animals are used to but it's something that takes quite a bit to get adapted to when you're hunting it so Drew, tell us a little bit for those guys who are not as familiar with pronghorn hunting, who are who are, are like me and Nick and, and just now getting into it or maybe are considering it and have never done it before. What is as a deer hunter, what is unique to a pronghorn's behavior in your mind? What are some of the things that you would really want somebody to know going into it? Some of the stuff that you made sure that you told me. Um, regarding how they how they acted and everything like that um, when I first got up there. Yeah, uh, so the major difference, I guess, is that antelope are kind of curious, and if they don't get a good a good look at you or a good view of what you are, then chances are they they might just come in and check you out just to see, and they might not stick a lot around for a long time, but they're definitely going to come over and take a look and kind of get closer to you so they can find out what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, so that presents itself with some unique opportunities, uh, especially out there where we're hunting with all those hills and those gullies and the ravines and stuff. It's, it's really easy to kind of use the terrain to your advantage, sneak really slowly until you can see most of the time, just the tops of the ears. And then, what you're really doing is kind of playing a little bit of cat and mouse with them and kind of peeking over the ravine or over the hill and just sort of letting them know that you're there a little bit if they're far away. And sometimes you get lucky and they're close, but it seems to, it seems to have worked out for us a few times in the past where we crest over a hill and then drop down and those antelope come running in to check out and see what it is. Yeah. So I, I killed my, I killed my buck on day three out there, the evening of day three. How many stalks would you say that we had in earlier that week? Oh, man, we had a we had a lot of opportunities. I think the most interesting one was that first first one that we had, that first encounter. Yeah. We were walking around the hill, and they were on a spot. I don't know. They're, they're a lot like deer in that you can pattern them, but they're totally different. Uh, they're not going to spook as easily if, if you don't just come running up on them. And 
it, it always seems that that one part of the hill, it's a good, the way it rounds around, it's not just an up and over the hill, you're kind of side hilling and the way it works out there, they just, they want to come in and check it out. And that first stock that we put on, I think we ranged them at what, 23 yards. And <laughs> I, I remember what you said after when he came in and I was thinking the whole time, I was like, man, is, is Sam going to shoot or what? <laughs> and, uh, and yeah and i ranged him and he was what 23 yards i think at the closest so so i was gonna ask you about that because again that was my very first stalk my very first time encountering these things i i i, I was clueless i really had no idea what i was doing <laughs> and i was gonna ask you what your thoughts were when i did not shoot that buck because he wasn't a giant he certainly wasn't as big as the one that I ended up with, but he was still a very respectable buck and, and one that probably deserved to get an arrow flung at him. Yeah. And, and the way he came into and just kind of stood 20 yards broadside, I was there, there was a second where I was thinking, man, is Sam going to shoot? And when's he going to shoot? And I, I remember, I think it's even on camera. I kind of looked over at you like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially spot and stock with archery equipment it's that's a challenge in and of itself and so kind of at that point i don't really know that i mean it's always nice to shoot a trophy but being able to spot and stock an antelope with a bone arrow is that's kind of a trophy in and of itself if you get one so i i can yeah. i completely agree and and in hindsight especially when especially after last year, which I know we're going to talk about 2019 and the challenges that came with that in our next episode. But especially last year, I now look back on that very first stalk, that very first opportunity, and I wonder what the heck I was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) We want to know too, Sam. Yeah, well, that makes three of us, guys. I I don't know. I was I was sitting behind Drew. I had my bow in my hand. I had an arrow on the string, and I was – just looking at this speed goat that was standing 23 yards away. (laughs) Well, and you also, I mean, they always say, you know, don't, don't uh, pass up something on the first day that you wouldn't want on the last day, you know, but also you want to kind of savor that hunt and enjoy it a little bit before you just go out there at first stock and kill one. It's a fine line between the two, really. Absolutely. And, and, and that, that's, that's I think, the, the biggest battle because, and, and probably, honestly, the one of the bigger reasons why my brain told me not to shoot that one because it, it was, we were an hour or two into daylight on the first day and <laughs> I had a shot opportunity, you know, and you think something like that and you're like, oh man, this can be can be easy you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) when it's quite in fact the opposite so it's uh i know again next week we're going to talk about kind of 2020 and leading into the year but nick for you going up there hopefully this year for the first time uh as much as we want to make the trip last and enjoy our time up there um if you get a shot like that on the first day you're stupid not to take it oh yeah if i I, that's what i was going to say also is if if I was in that same situation, which, you know, Monday morning quarterback, uh, I would I would like to think that I would take that shot as well. But, you know, you never know what's going to go through your mind when you're put in that situation. Well, at least at least next year you're going to have me and Drew with you, hopefully, that are both going to be nudging you, telling you to to get ready and and shoot. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. I got a uh, I got two solid guides with me 
Uh, you got one solid guy and a wannabe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, with the antelope hunting is, I mean, it goes from zero to 60 real quick. Yes. One minute you're walking around the hill, and the next minute those antelope are 20 yards away, and it's they don't give you a lot of time to think about whether or not you want to shoot. It's mm-hmm. it, it, You better be ready. Yes. So we had that encounter the first day, and we—I ha- mean, we had some smaller encounters at longer distances throughout the week. Uh, I think I, I know that was a—that was a challenging few days for you too, Drew, because uh, your your back was acting up and and making it hard sometimes to to do some spot and stalk. So it it was we were about fifty fifty on whether you were you were with me out there too at the same time. So yeah, it's one of those things where I mean the terrain that we're hiking in and the the challenges that come along with spot and stock hunting and i guess having back issues the challenges that come around along with a 12-hour car ride to get there uh really showed themselves after a couple days walking around in the cold and uh it, it makes it challenging for sure when you can't walk and when that's slowing you down it's something where i wanted to be there but there was times where i was just I knew it was better for you to be there alone and not having me dragging you down. Even though you might not have the experience, you definitely had the advantage in being able to be nimble, be quick, crouch down when you needed to, and just sort of do the things that you need to do when you're antelope hunting. And I really, I wanted to be there doing all this spot and stock with you all the time, but there was, there was some advent or there was kind of an advantage too, being able to get in the truck and go, scout out some new land that i'd never been to and it ended up being a really good a really good spot and it's one that we've ended up hunting a couple of times and seen some really nice goats out there too so i mean even yeah yeah even at that point it's you never know when you're out hunting where i guess you're gonna find your next honey hole and kind of lucked out and that my back was hurting because we found one really nice spot to hunt well we'll we'll get into here in a second um what transpired on my end when when you were out there scouting out the hunting the next honey hole but uh there is there's one stock that i want to i want to talk about and it was it was one where it's on it's on video i was able to self-film it but it's one where you were you were uh, absent during this particular one, but I think it was day number two. There was snow on the ground, and we had. Um, I was coming down down that hill, actually down where that ground blind was set up on that water hole down there. I was making my way down there, and uh, there was four four pronghorn down there, a buck and three does, um, kind of on that little flat area behind where the blind sits, you know. So, um, was making my way down there and saw the four of them. And that was probably the first time I really, the first stock where I really had to use the terrain to my, really strategically kind of plan out my path of travel to get down there. Because they were slowly working toward me, and there were a couple little draws and, and little low spots in between me and them. But I'm on top of a hill, and I have to figure out how to get down this hill and to them within bow range without them seeing me when I'm above them. It, it, it's It's really a... Uh, it's kind of a, a sketchy situation, you know. So, using the terrain to work your way down there, and uh, unfortunately, it didn't. It didn't work out. I think I got to 112 yards before they finally spotted me and blew me out of there. But 
uh, that like I said that was the first time that I was really having to to strategically think about terrain and and my path of travel which which is important during spot and stock so it is and and that piece of private ground that we hunt there too like it's it is hilly and there is a lot of terrain but it's pretty wide open and it's one of those things where it took me years a couple of them actually to learn how to hunt that property and i I don't know if we've released the video of it but i've i self-filmed my first year out there and that footage isn't much more than me being frustrated the whole time because i blew (laughs) another one and got into a position where i thought i was good and all of a sudden i busted myself essentially because I poked up at the wrong spot and they were too far away to even think about shooting. But at that point they know you're there and it's not like some of those other times where we're in close and we're in the right spot and they're coming in to check and see what you are. It's at 150 yards. They know what you're doing and they're pretty aware of it at that point, especially a little bit later in the season when they've seen people out hunting and they've been chased a little bit. And once they see those people walking around, they're used to people on horseback. They're used to people in trucks but people on feet generally for them mean danger. And so if they, if they see you like that, you're, you're pretty done. And yeah, like I said, I self filmed that hunt and I don't know if that's something we've even released, but that might be an interesting one to go back and pull out and just kind of share the frustrations that come along with learning how to antelope hunt because I was seven days into it before I even had a chance. I think if I remember right. And yeah, it, it was it was day after day of blowing pretty good opportunities had I known the right way to approach it. So, well, I know I know that's footage that we don't have online right now, and that might be something cool that we get on over to old Nick Powell over there to to play around with and maybe put out a cool video before our uh, our trip this fall hopefully comes up. So, yeah, I might be able to do a little something with it. Yeah, you can, you can get a little creative sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> so i have in my notes here guys that i want to talk about kind of getting into the the successful side of the 2018 story the 2018 trip um drew as you know the buck that i ended up killing the the day that i killed it was not the first time that we saw him is that right that's correct yeah we were we were out scouting and we were actually I want to say we're probably four miles as the crow flies from where the ground blind was set up. And my truck gets a lot further than that. It was probably a half an hour drive back over to that other side. But we saw it. He was right on the road. We sat and watched him in the snowstorm and he couldn't have cared less that we were there 20 yards, 30 yards away from him, whatever it was. But that it was really interesting too, to see him with that broken cutter and, it's not something I've seen a lot of, and that was a pretty unique buck. For sure, I, yeah. We we're driving down the road, and we just we see these we see these pronghorn off in this field right off the road, uh, off to our left, and we had to turn around and come back because we just got a glimpse of him, and he was a stud. And we whip we whipped the truck around, come back. We got some cool footage of him just uh, just sitting there um, with those does. Like Drew said, he couldn't have cared less. And I just remember both of us talking in the truck about how good of a buck that was and how cool it was, talking about the cutter and watching him slowly just kind of push those does back into the hills a little bit, wishing 
<laughs> that I could see a buck like that on on the property that we had permission to hunt. So, <laughs> yeah, that was one of those bucks where it. That's why we turned around. With, I, I knew the second we saw him that that was that was a fully mature antelope, and that was something worth going after. I mean, he was. I don't want to call him fat, but that was a big-bodied antelope, yeah. and he was pretty wide. And I mean, you could tell just from looking at him next to those does that that was definitely something you wanted to see closer yeah absolutely so we saw him we saw him the day before and i think now is is probably a good time as any to talk about um some of the frustrations leading up into the actual hunt where where i put one on the ground because it was once again one of those hunts where i was flying solo out there and it the third day man it warmed up a lot like it was like 60 degrees like it it it's changed from from night to day basically from snow to sunshine and warm and i I was shocked at how quickly everything dried out out there yeah that's that's the thing too out there is that sun is really warm we're at a pretty high elevation out there i think it's right around uh 5,000 feet and so when that sun comes out and it gets warm that dry air out there that snow melts quick and it's definitely something you notice yeah absolutely i went out there that evening and i think i got out there like one or two o'clock in the afternoon you know fairly fairly earlier and with the plan of with the plan of sitting in that ground blind because it was warm because it was drying out and hoping that might catch something coming into that water hole and I decided to make a quick pass just kind of around kind of that hill actually where we had that very first encounter with that buck at 23 yards. Um, I decided to make a pass down there just to see if anything was moving and I I'd kind of finished my route and I was heading in the direction of the ground blind which is still a ways off and there's this one buck just by himself on top of that flat like on top of that hill out there and he's a couple hundred yards out. So I crouched down and I'm trying to trying to think how can i get a shot at this guy and and that's where the curiosity that you're talking about drew came in play because the dude just started walking toward me he saw me he saw that there was something there but i just crouched down as soon as i saw him and he he closed the gap all the way to 80 yards and at the time with the bow setup i was running that year uh, i didn't have the the cbe engaged hybrid site that i have now which can give me the option to go out to 100 yards um, I had a, a five-pin fixed fixed-pin sight, so 60 was my max. I was comfortable stacking pins and going to 70 with that, but I wasn't gonna fling one at a buck at 80. Was what I'd come up with in my own mind. So he just kind of barely skirted around the the outside edge of my range, and uh, it was kind of I, I tried to kind of follow him a little bit, but I mean the amateur in me was kicking in and i probably wouldn't have done that now in hindsight and you pro if you were there drew you probably would have told me what the heck are you doing man you're an idiot <laughs> but uh, i mean that's wish that's wishful thinking yeah my first couple of years hunting them too i was i i thought the same thing that they're only walking and i'm walking and so we should be able to kind of keep pace and maybe it'll luck out we'll get some terrain that they stop and we get in a little closer but you don't realize how much ground those things cover quick. Yes. Mm-hmm. He covered so much ground so quickly. And next thing I know, I am much farther down uh, the trail than I realized. And I'm winded. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. I'm tired. And I'm, I'm discouraged at this point. 
because at this point we've had several stocks, several unsuccessful stocks, and and I'm I'm beginning to get a little skeptical about this whole bow hunting antelope thing. <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, I decided to go down the ground blind um, and just sit there the rest of the night. And I'm working my way down the ground blind on the hillside opposite the ground blind. There's like seven does, no bucks, seven does all bedded over there. So I ended up having to sit on the side of the hill for a good 30, 40 minutes or so and wait for them to move out of there before I could even go to the blind. I didn't want to bump them out of there, but I, you know, I, I really just didn't have another option. They weren't, they weren't worth uh, trying to get a stock on, in my opinion, so I just had to play the waiting game. That brings up a good question because I know, like Sam said earlier, you know, we're familiar with hunting whitetail who have a rut like a week or two out of the year where they rut. Are, is there anything similar to that, that antelope have, or, or they just kind of get their ladies and go on about their business? So there is a rut for sure. And it, it, it seems longer than the whitetail rut, but it's, I, I want to call it, it's pretty similar, if not even shorter. But what happens is those big mature bucks start rounding up their harem of does and it's interesting to watch. They'll actually chase them and kind of corner them and really cut them off and okay. kind of contained. And so even before the rut really kicks off, you'll start to see them gathering groups and kind of getting things together. And you know it starts to become the rut when those smaller bucks kind of hang out on the skirt edges of those of those groups and are trying to make moves in and you start to see that bigger buck really pushing those other bucks out and i, I know we're going to talk about it later at some point but that's that is the time of year when those decoys those fan decoys really come into hand or into play is when they're concerned about those smaller satellite bucks kind of working their way in and yeah. they want to protect that harem and so it is it's it's definitely something you notice but it's a lot different than the whitetail rut for sure yeah okay cool that's good stuff drew i i, I may have missed it because i my brain goes a million directions at one time but um did you say what time of year that normally happens i didn't and it really it, it's strange it seems to vary uh i've seen it sort of anywhere from you know late september and that i think it has to do with how high up we are there and the weather uh-huh. uh much as anything else but it, it seems that it could be as early as late september some years but other years it seems like it's la- later in october sometimes into early november and it's it's not the same as the whitetail rut as far as it's it's in that second week of november and it, it's pretty predictable it's as far as I can tell, it seems to be kind of all over the place. And now there's people who hunt antelope way more than me, and they're probably listening to this saying that, that I'm way wrong on that. But I think, <laughs> I think it really depends, too, on the property that you're hunting and the pressure that it's receiving and kind of what that looks like as well. What kind of what kind of elevation is uh, the property that you guys hunted? Uh, it's like 5,000 uh, feet in elevation. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. And it's it's really interesting that that other spot that we've talked about where I was out scouting while Sam was sitting in the ground blind. It's interesting the way the terrain changes so much. I think I was probably down around 2000 feet if that. So Okay. 
Sam was sitting in the snow and I was driving around and it was hot and I was in a t-shirt. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it was crazy. And and I know we'll get into more of kind of the, not only the weather difference, but the terrain terrain difference we saw. We'll get into that in next week's episode as well. So, yeah, it's, it's like I said before, it's, that's the nice thing about Montana is it really gives you options as far as both weather and temperature and cover. So, yeah. So Kat, we'll, we'll keep moving here. That way we can, uh, that way we can wrap it up and, and get back to our busy lives that we, that we have so much of, um, those does that were on the side of that hill, um, they finally cleared out of there and I was able to make my way down the blind. And by the time I get down the blind, I am just, I'm gassed. I'm tired. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. I'm discouraged. And really, really second guessing my decision to bow hunt pronghorn antelope, the fastest animal in North America in Montana. (laughs) So I, uh, I'm sitting there and I hadn't been sitting in that blind for 20 minutes. And I look down off, off to my right, kind of following the edge of this little draw, this little, uh, not really a Creek, but this, this little Valley. Um, it went all the way to the property line, which was a couple hundred yards away from me. Um, and then there was a big hill on the other side of that property line. I look over and this big, this big mature looking pronghorn buck had just topped that hill and was coming down toward the fence line. And he's moving pretty quick. And like Drew said, stuff changes in a second. And just, just like that, it, it started looking like my luck was about to change. He ducks under that fence. He comes running in. I'm picking up my bow. I'm ranging him. He's at, you know, over 100. He's closing the gap. He's at 90. He's at 80. And then I remember making a note to myself in my mind, he's at 53 yards. That's within my bow range. And I had ranged a little spot on the edge of the watering hole at right at about 40 yards. And he came walking right through that spot. I put my 40-yard pin on him let it fly and when i shot it was it it was weird it was like one of those moments where everything happened in slow motion in your in your brain and when you play it back in your brain it's slow motion almost (laughs) i remember my arrow seeing it going at kind of arcing kind of going up and my initial thought in my brain was i just shot over the top of this thing and then i heard that smack you know that you hear when your arrow hits the broad side of an animal and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man, I hit that thing. And I'm watching him run away, and he's got blood pouring out the side of him, and I started getting excited. And it, it was just one of those things, I guess, I had hadn't, when in target practicing with that bow, I had not consciously made a note of my my arrow flight and the arc um, at those longer distances at 40 and over. And so when I saw that when I actually shot, it surprised me, and my initial thought was that I that I missed him, that I – that I shot high until I heard it hit him. So <laughs> that's crazy. But he, he took off, he ran, he ran down that bottom, um, and crashed down there. I was super excited. Uh, I, I words can't really do justice. Uh, my reaction. Um, so I encourage you guys to actually go watch this hunt. Um, we, we were able to get it all on video. It is chapter three of our flagship series, fall obsessed outdoors. Uh, it's on our YouTube channel and it's on our website. Um, and all, a majority of the hunts, including that first one where I didn't shoot the buck at 23 yards, all that is in that in that series and in that show. So, if you guys want to actually go watch these hunts and see them for yourself, um, I encourage you to go do that. 
I think that's one of the cool things that that comes with us being able to to document our hunts like that because we're we're able to share them. Not only talk about them on a podcast, but we're also able to share them with with people and they can see what we're talking about. Yeah, and it's also just a memory for us after after years have gone by, we can come back and and look at these hunts and say, "Man, like you'll be able to say that was my first antelope. How cool is that?" Yeah. After you've gotten 15 of them on the wall. Hey, let's not get ahead of ourselves, all right? <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think the funny part about that, too, is to hear you describe that as such a slow experience. And, I mean, if you when people go back and watch the video, they're going to laugh because I, I think all in all, that that happens in the blink of an eye. That thing is in oh, your yeah. lap before you know it. And, right. you sh- and it's all over in seconds. But I know what you're saying, that it feels like a lifetime when you're actually there in the moment. Yeah, in the moment and looking back on it, I felt like that antelope was running down that hill and coming toward me for half a day, and then the arrow was in flight for a good couple hours at least. Is is how that <laughs> is how that felt in the moment when in reality it was probably from start to finish it was a minute or barely more probably. So it's crazy how fast stuff can happen. So Drew, I wanted to I wanted to get your side of of the story because guys can go watch this hunt and obviously you just heard me tell my story. Uh, I'm sure I'll get into my initial reaction walking up on this thing, but um, you like like we mentioned, you were scouting while this hunt was taking place. So kind of tell us what you were doing and what it was like when you got when I called you. Yeah, so I was actually back on some BLM land and just driving down a, a little two track road and not very fast about walking speed a little bit more. And it was very interesting because I had this antelope walking, not even 40 yards from my truck. And it probably walked side by side with me for 10, 15 minutes, just walking down this road. And the whole time I was thinking, man, I wish Sam was here instead of that ground bug. Cause that was a really nice buck too. <laughs> And I think we got some video of that, but it 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 was really interesting. I, I was thinking, man, if if Sam doesn't shoot one today, we're gonna have to come back here tomorrow because there's no way this antelope sees this truck. I mean, you could have we could have stopped the truck. You could have stepped out and shot it yeah. over the hood of the. Truck. It would have been easy, game over. And I know looking back on that after doing a lot more antelope hunting that those types of opportunities don't happen all the time very often at all no man you tell me that now you tell me that there was one walking alongside your truck now after last year 2019 i'm like what in the world (laughs) what's wrong with that antelope (laughs) i mean and it's the same spot we hunted so yes it just happens to be some days they don't care and other days they know exactly what you're doing (laughs) <laughs> for and sure so i would i was scouting that out and man i saw i don't want to call it a ton of antelope but it was a lot of dispersed groups and they were small groups too which seemed to be a lot easier to to get in on spot and stock than those big groups with all the eyes and that that in and of itself kind of showed to me that that was going to be a, a place that we needed to go check out more and kind of go put some time and effort into. Uh, and so I was, I was actually on my way out of there and I popped back into cell phone service because it's kind of on the backside of the mountain there and you don't get a lot of, a lot of cell reception, but 
man, as soon as I hit cell phone service, my phone started blowing up and it was Sam and it was, Hey, call me when you can. Hey, I shot one. Hey, Oh my God, it's a big one. (laughs) 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 And so I called you and man, I could hear you just shaking through the phone, just the, (laughs) through your voice and through everything. I could tell how, how jazzed up you were. So well, and, it, and, it didn't take me long to figure out that you put down a pretty nice antelope. Well, and not only that, but I mean, by the time that, like, yeah, I texted you and called you and, and left a message or whatever, like, as soon right after it happened, right after I initially calmed down, but it was probably a good half hour before after I killed him, 20 minutes to a half hour before we actually got a hold of each other, and, and I was still amped. I mean, it, it was just, it, it was crazy. He, he, so he went down that bottom and I just went up on this hill, just kind of one of the sides, just a little bit. So I could see him laying down there. I could see him dead at the bottom and I wanted to run down there and grab him so bad. But my camera work during the shot itself was pretty, that that's the one part of that hunt I regret is not moving my camera a little bit farther because I did not get the angle that I needed um, on that shot. That's what comes with self-filming, I guess. But I wanted to at least give guys a good recovery on video, so I wanted to wait till you could get out there before I went down there and grabbed him because I wanted it to be on video, and and it worked out. But man, standing there waiting—no uh, offense—but it seemed like you were driving really slow. <laughs> it, <laughs> it took forever for you to get out there. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's—I mean—that's just the kind of the nature of the beast out there. Is it's it's pretty far actually to the other spot that we were looking at is those those zones out there for the antelope are huge so you can really get all over the state and see antelope but uh yeah Uh, and going back to that self-filming thing one part about i i regret and this was early on in our filming career and self-filming career but man i thought i hit record when i called you and I actually stopped the camera. So I was really hoping to have that conversation on film, and I, I really wish I did still because, man, to hear how happy you were that you shot that, it, it was something I wish I could have captured. For sure, man. Well, what you did capture, and for those people who might not know, what is actually on every single episode of Fall Obsession Podcast is is part of that hunt and part of those reactions. When you guys listen to the intro to every single episode – you're going to hear me say at some point, he's down, he's freaking down. And that's me talking about when I first laid eyes on my on my goat laying in that bottom after I'd shot him. And then you'll also hear Drew say, um, he said he shot a, a freaking giant or something like that. And that's Drew. An absolute giant. An absolute giant. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that's <laughs> Drew uh, driving out to me to come, uh, to come rescue me and come help me. And, uh, he was he did a little bit of video and during that portion and and ta- and I guess making up for the phone call he didn't record. <laughs> and yeah, and you know what? I, I'll tell you, I was not driving slow, and that was the <laughs> longest drive to get from point A to point B. I think I've I've experienced, even though it was only twenty miles, it seemed like that took an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really did. <laughs> Well, it was it was an awesome hunt for sure. It's one I won't forget. I I know walking up on on that goat, uh, the the shot was was awesome. Just straight up double lung, um, mid shoulder, and then uh, and then being able to look at 
just just look at like you said earlier a mature a mature goat the broken cutter was cool um and i'm sure we got some pictures of that that we'll post in in coordination with the publication of this episode but he he, he was such a cool buck man he he was mature and, and he was a fighter really unique buck and and the the cutter is uh is probably the probably the reason biggest reason we were able to identify him from the day before so yeah and man i know you said you double lunged him but that was one heck of a shot those things can cover a lot of ground in a hurry and i i don't even think he went 30 40 yards it was straight downhill and he he didn't make it far no he he uh well he did run a little ways because he kind of took the long way into into getting where uh, where he ended up. He did some uphill travel and some downhill rolling. So, <laughs> <laughs> but no, he he was a stud. And and for those guys who are wondering how how big he in fact was, um, I I did just do a, a rough score on him. He taped out at uh, sixty eight inches and some change, which is. Um, above the minimum for the Pope and Young record book. He, however, is not in the record book because I was not thinking about having a record book pronghorn when I shot him, and when I had him mounted, I had that uh, broken cutter repaired. You can't put anything in the record book with artificial antler, so that uh, that no worky. <laughs> Drew, what's a respectable size for, for a buck? You know, I mean, you'll hear all sorts of different numbers, especially when you talk to people who do a lot of pronghorn hunting and right. multi-state stuff. And it it depends on the area that you're in. Uh, I know Sam's was one of the bigger ones that I've seen out there. And, I mean, I've shot some nice ones. I've shot some, some older ones. I've shot some that are missing teeth and are kind of on that downhill slide again. But I I haven't seen any that really had that, like, that body mass that his did and not only the body mass, but just kind of the thickness to those, those pronghorns and those cutters, they stick way out there on that. And it's, that's a pretty nice antelope. In other words, don't expect to be killing one like that this year, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'll be happy with the the first shot that I get. You and me me both. (laughs) (laughs) That that would be an interesting follow-up to this is we should, we should take on that and uh, we'll go through for you guys and go through how you measure a pronghorn, how to kind of judge them in the field a little bit and sort of what, what good scores are for antelope. But again, that varies with where you're at and where you're hunting. Some areas are known for really, really big antelope and this area is really not. And so to shoot that 60, what, 68 and a half or 60, whatever yeah, you said it was. 68 and three eights, I think is what he was. Yeah, and so to shoot an antelope like that in that area is that's that's really nice, and that doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, ho- hopefully, awesome. hopefully between the three of us, hopefully we have three on the ground this year uh, on video for you guys, and and even if we just get one, like Drew said, we'll we'll do some exclusive and some more specific stuff like that to to hopefully help you guys out either this season or in future seasons. So, yeah. And I've got two that I've like I'd like to score myself that that five and a half year old that I shot, and then the one that I shot last year, which is that's my best antelope to date, was the one that I shot last year. That was a really and good one. It was. It was nice, and we'll we'll have to have a discussion on the story of that one sometime. But that that's kind of a funny story in and of itself. So, 
Awesome. Well, guys, um, we're we're out of time for part one of our two-part Montana saga. Um, and like I said, you guys are going to be able to join us next week. Um, we'll talk more about 2019. We can probably talk about what Drew just said, um, that, uh, that goat that he killed out there. And uh, and some other stuff that we're looking forward to 2020 um, with the with the pending draw results that we all got our fingers crossed for that happens tomorrow at the time of, we're recording this podcast so uh, we're we're all pumped and excited and anxious for that and we'll let you guys know how that goes but for now I want to thank you guys for tuning in to another follow up session podcast episode if you guys have not already please go to our social media pages Facebook Instagram Twitter subscribe to our youtube channel make sure you like and follow us we got a lot of awesome content from not just us but also our experienced pro and field staffers um and hunting season's just around the corner so we're going to have a lot a lot more content coming you guys way um, both relevant to hunting and, and getting prepared for for the season so be sure that you check all that out if you haven't already hit that follow and subscribe button on this podcast follow session podcast is on all of your favorite podcast apps so uh, be sure that you uh, follow along and get notified every time we post an episode. And if you guys have any questions or any topic suggestions, um, please feel free to let us know. There's a spot on our website, fallobsession.com slash podcast, where you guys can go and send those in. So we look forward to getting some feedback from you guys and, uh, and dishing out some more content for you in future episodes. Also, if you have not already, we got a new hat out right now, the Sharpshooter Trucker Hat. It's pretty sweet, so you guys go pick one of those up at our online store as well, as long as some of our cool t-shirt designs. So, Guys, you got anything else? No, not right now. Yeah, same here. I'm, I'm all giving you all I got. All right, man. For this time. For this time. Always for this time. <laughs> Looking forward to next time. All right, guys. Thank, right. thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next week for part two of our Montana series. Catch you later. Listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.